0: Polony Undiverted, by Sidney Van Sayok. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perrard. Polony Undiverted, by Sidney Van Sayok. With the whole world at her doorstep, what she wanted was completely out of reach. Polony's dream formed around a glare of light, a tang of men's lotion. Then she was awake to Brindle poking her. I'm hungry. She struggled to burrow back into sleep. I'm starving, kid. I can't sleep. She bleared at the time spot. It was three AM. Go away. Ah, gimme an omelet. Brindle ate a lot lately. His features were coarsening from it. His body was plumpening. She argued and protested and whined and he hit her. But it didn't make her feel good any more when he hit her. Kitchen Central was enough for the night. She punched storage. Dried ingredients materialized on the cook grid. A flat metal sheet set into the countertop. Later, as she took the omelet up, she heard Brendle setting the opera tapes. She scowled. But when opera shattered their live, She dropped the skillet and cried. Oh, do we have to listen to that trash? Her voice was more weary than shrill. The opera routine was getting old. What you callin' trash? He twitched his plump shoulders. It makes me sick. He spat profanity. It wasn't a good fight. He knew something was wrong, and he hit her too hard. She slugged back, hurt her hand, cursed, ran and locked herself into the sleep. She was asleep when he came pounding. She woke and pointed the lock open. She glared. He said nothing. He ordered his smaller collections, his miniature horses, his ballpoint pens, and his old-time cereal box missiles onto his store shelf before mounting his sleep shelf and pointing out the light. She could hear him not sleeping. Finally, he muttered, too damn much cheese, but it was okay. She said nothing. She didn't almost cry, as she might have a month before. Brendel had appeared on their grid a year before, a dark, pugnacious young man, jittering and nervous. Claire Webster around? Mother isn't here. Her mother collected men. She met them at drinking clubs or collector meets. She gave them her grid card and took theirs, making them promise to come see her. If a man came, she tacked his card on her bulletin board. If he came twice or three times, she marked this card with colored pencil. Brendel twitched his shoulders. I got the evening. Want to have dinner, kid? She was 17 and tired of collecting China roosters and peach-canned labels. She was tired of seeing the same stupid people every day. Somewhere, there was someone handsome and perfect and she had to find him and become perfect, too. She couldn't waste all her life being stupid like her mother. It took her two hours to see that Brendel was the perfect person. He was handsome, aggressive, easy to be with. He quarreled all the time, and he even had a full-time job. She married him. She dropped her little girl collections and diversions. She was no longer a formless adolescent. She was very solid, very adult. But the solidness had gone. She had found that Brendel's aggressiveness masked fear, his quarrelsomeness masked insecurity. Worst, he had no imagination. He plotted. It had begun two weeks before. Brendel had come home from work, tight and tense. He tried eating. He tried opera and quarreling. He tried exercises. Finally, he said, I'm going to go see Lasker Smith want to come? Who the hell's Latsker Smith? Already she was sick of the opera routine and a little sick of Brindle. Drives a car from Boston. Fella at the plant. Told me he's in Center City. Minutes later, they gritted out of the suburban maze. They materialized on a corner grid in Center City. There was no one on the dusty street. There was no car near the gaunt brick building where Lasker Smith was staying. They plopped on the doorstep. Brendel fidgeted and talked. Lasker Smith was the son of a rich industrialist. His father wouldn't support him unless he worked, and Lasker wouldn't work. So he had to live on government non-employment allowance. His pre-grid automobile and airplane were his only diversions. Since he couldn't leave Boston by automobile... Boston being walled up like any city by the streetless suburbs, he saved his allowance until he could commercial grid his car to another city. There he raced and squealed and spun through the deserted streets of Center City until he had saved enough to commercial grid the car elsewhere. A throbbing split the air. A red splinter of car hurtled around the corner and squealed to the curb, A tall, lank man unfolded, ignoring them. Brendel sprang to overwhelm him. He pulled him to the steps to make introductions. But Lasker Smith peered absently at Polony, and she was embarrassed that Brendel acted like an eager child, confronting some heroic figure from a dream. Lasker's pop got money. Brendel launched into his story again. When the story fizzled, she said, "'Why couldn't you get a job?' Smith held his head tilted. Don't want a job. If you had a job, you wouldn't have to stay one place so long. No use being any place if I have to leave my car. She pursed her lips. Inside the car, she could see seats, straps, a wheel. It was incomprehensible that he strapped himself in and hurtled through the streets. It's a stupid thing to do, she said. You'll get killed. No he said. "'If you hit something, you will. "'I've heard those atrocity stories. "'There were more people killed in automobiles "'from nothing to hit,' he said. "'She flung out her arms. "'Buildings, poles.' "'His lack of response offended her. "'No need to hit them. "'I've seen the films.' "'She had seen the crumpled metal, "'the severed limbs, the spreading blood. "'Driver error. No drivers left.' too expensive on government allowance. No one's stupid enough left, you mean, but it was stupid to glare when he wouldn't frown. Okay, what's it feel like? She demanded. He lifted his shoulders and dropped them. It must feel some way. She peered down into the machine, trying to imagine herself hurtling in it. You fly an airplane, too, she accused. He nodded. I bet it feels just like gritting, and it takes longer. Gritting, he snorted mildly. There's no sensation at all to gritting. Then how does it feel to fly, she prodded. Brendel moved restlessly, bored. Let's get going. We just got here, stupid, she protested. He was already pulling her to the corner grid. I'm getting hungry. She tried to jerk her arm free, but couldn't. How long will you be here, she called back, swatting Brendel's arm. He lifted his shoulders and dropped them. If I come, but Brindle had given their number. They were outside their own door, and she hadn't felt a thing. Today, she resented not feeling a thing. These weirdos, they talk too much. I'm hungry. She resented punching his food and didn't even want to quarrel. She drowsed back into sleep, remembering everything was empty. She ate she slept. She quarreled. She gritted around, seeing friends. What else was there? She couldn't get a job. There weren't that many jobs. And with the government allowance for not working, who needed a job? Who needed anything? A time of plenty, her school machine had called it. You just gritted around, collecting and arguing to make it interesting. There were so many people moving so fast that you had to quarrel and push, or you'd get stepped on. It was all stupid. Brindle didn't help a bit. He was stupid, too. She tried to imagine Latsker Smith echoing through the empty streets in his scarlet splinter of car. Latsker Smith couldn't be stupid. She slept three hours before the grid bell rang. Elka, her cousin, stood on the grid, loose-haired, big toothed. She swung a hatbox. I didn't get you up. No polony said hopelessly. I'm gritting to NYC, hatting, and it's not even seven. Paul, I'm contritus, but you weren't sleeping, and I don't need hats. You haven't seen the darling I got in Paris. I gritted over with Celia Kyle, and honestly, there was a shot that... She convinced Elka that she was not going hatting. Elka took her toll in coffee, and gridded after her Paris hat, Polani barely admired it, and Elka left. Before she could dial Brendel's breakfast, her mother was on the grid, fluffy, fleecy, thrusting a wad of bills at her. "'Just on my way to Mexico, Tootle. Punch me some coffee?' Breathless moments later, she was gone. "'What took so long?' Brendel demanded when she woke him. Mama stopped. She hated him like this. His face creased and puffy from sleep. She had never thought he would get fat. He gulped his breakfast and left. Sometimes she hated him for just being. The great bell rang. It was a salesman. He insinuated she didn't have the money to buy his product. She said his merchandise stank. He left grinning, but she didn't feel better. The bell rang. A young man muttered, Miss Grid, and disappeared. She had gotten to the dress when she heard the door open. She eyed the hall reflector and saw Farron, her mother's brother, slip into the cook. She dressed hastily. Farron would order breakfast and keep the silver to keep in from his own grid for the deposit. He was plumped up to the counter, a woolly-haired man attacking a stack of egg-cakes. Let me have them, he purred, taking spoon and knife from a pocket. The government allowance is hardly sufficient for a man of my tastes, shielded by your father's fortune, as you are. You could get a job, she punched coffee. She wished he would go away. He was always watching, smiling, spinning together soft words. And add to the work shortage? He wagged his woolly head. Then don't complain. There should be a syrup pitcher, too. He produced it purring. The grid bell rang. Two pig-faced men in black gridco uniforms blocked the doorway. You got Farron Carmichael's inside, lady? No. You always lied to gridco collectors. We traced him here from Dallas. Well, he isn't here now. How can we heard him talking? He isn't here. Gridco could not remove a grid, even though the subscriber refused to pay his quarterly bill. The grid was held by law to be essential to human existence in the twisting, walled alleys of suburbia. Gritko could only send collectors to follow until their quarry fell or was pushed into their hands, and a man who had once fallen into Gritko's hands paid eagerly forever after. We can pull another trace. Do that! She slammed the door. She had time for a quick swallow of coffee before the bell rang. He didn't go no farther. She sighed. Well, he won't come out. I can't make him. He'll come sometime. They leaned back against nothing, waiting. You're blocking my grid. Dutifully, they stepped into the narrow corridor. She slammed the door. They are going to stand there until you go out. Farron drained his coffee cup. I'll settle here, then. If you, he tutted, thank you for the lunch invitation. I. she bit her tongue. She would not get mad. He wagged his head. I'll peruse Brendel's books. Fine collection for a young man. Books. Gritting her teeth, she hurtled back to the dress. The collectors rang every five minutes after that. They kept ringing until she went and told them Farron would not come out. It wasn't the way she had imagined it would be when she was married. What with punching Brindle's meals, sending out his clothes, going collecting with him and quarreling, she hardly had a minute. And the same stupid people, Elka, Farron, his mother and father, were always there. The bell rang. Her father scowled, seeing Farron on Brindle's best sit-shelf. Where, he said grimly. Mexico, she said. Pottery, he said, going. The bell rang. A heavy-jawed youth said, Miss Webster gave me. My mother has gone to Mexico. She slammed the door. Minutes later, Sella Kyle, gritted in, crisp, prim, blonde. I haven't seen you in such a time, Paul. Coffee? She entertained Sella and wished she would go and new Farron knew she wanted Sella to go and found it amusing. Every five minutes, the collectors rang. She had just talked Sala out the door when Lucia Collins gritted in. Lucia had never been Poloni's close friend in school, but now Lucia was always near, pushing, prodding at Poloni, smiling too brightly at Brendel. "'You two are coming to lunch with me.' "'I've already asked Farron to lunch.' "'Silly, he can punch his own.' "'Oh, no.' "'Poloni said. "'I take the silver.' "'Faron smiled comfortably. Lucia flipped her hand at him. "'Atrocious man. "'Now Poloni.' "'It ended with Lucia inviting herself to come back to lunch. "'She had hardly vacated the grid when Elka appeared. "'She unwrapped her purchases, smirking at Farron. "'You'd be surprised the number of halves a girl needs. "'She stayed half an hour.' Another young man came for her mother. Two salesmen, a travelling circular, and a friend came. Then Brendel was on the grid. Who these lugs for? Uncle Farron, she said shortly. He lifted a lip at them, then bounced inside. Forget your bill, Fairy? Hey, kid, punch drinks. I refuse to honor it, Farron said. Brendel was already fishing in his pocket. Drinks, kid. She went to punch. She hated his trying to give money to everyone who came along. No, no, it is a matter of principle, Ferenin insisted, but the money changed hands, and there were certain other obligations. How much you need, Brendel fished into his pocket again, grinning. The bell rang. It was Lucia. All these ravenous people waiting on me? She had changed into a fire-red day suit. "'Dobble, you should have fed the beasts.' She snapped her fingers. "'Up, beasts. I'll help you punch, Dobb.' Glowering, Polony moved toward the cook. Brendel followed, chattering and arguing with Lucia. Polony was beginning to think again of a swiftly accelerating car, of her body encased beside that of Lasker Smith and hurtled through dusty streets. Brendel said, "'How many for opera?' She whirled and glared. Polony's a bug on opera. Tell them how you like opera, kid. She glared. The last time Lucian and Farron had been here, he had done this and the time before. Didn't he have any imagination? Tell them, kid. Fool, didn't he know they were laughing at him? She wanted to tear loose from her whole life. It was trivial. It was every day. It was gossip and collections and stupid people. She had to tear loose, or she would go on and on all her life, being nothing but herself. She was too good for that. She was too good for Brendel. He had tricked her and turned her into a fattening fool. It was stupid to stay with him. Ah, come on, kid. She drew herself up very straight and imagined... "'She must look imposing. "'I'll ask you all to leave,' she said calmly. "'Gone were the smiles. "'I'm closing my grid to public access. "'I'll ask you to leave immediately.' "'The words came out stiffly and precisely. "'She imagined she must already be more than just herself. "'What the hell?' Brendel? you may come back when I am gone. "'I shall not return.' "'She smiled.' Remotely, I'm tired of punching your food and going collecting and quarreling and being hit around. I never hit you hard, he said indignantly. Lucia stared at him. Double. Well, she made me do it. What am I supposed to do? Double, you're perfectly justified. But Lucia's eyes remained on Brendel, bright and greedy. Poloni glared. She would not stay and fight Lucia for Brendel. She flung the door open. The two collectors snapped alert. I want to be alone, she intoned. Brendel eyed her balefully, but he had already noticed Lucia's interest. Where are we going to go? We can go to my live," Lucia said. I think Double deserves her little whim. Brendel could not believe she was not going to fight. You, kid, you're acting like a kid. Farron took Brendel's arm. Don't stoop in conventional pettiness, Brendle. Brendel flushed. I'm coming back. You're not rooking me out of my collections. He turned abruptly and stepped on the grid. Giving a three-passenger order, he disappeared. Lucia followed. Farron stepped on, tossed bills to the collectors, and disappeared. Polony closed the door. She leaned against it, breathing the silence. Then she hurried through the live, setting it in order. She straightened the books Farron had been examining and found two missing. Even as Lucia was punching dinner and saying all the things designed to make Brendel want Poloni back only briefly, as a point of pride, Poloni was whisking into a brisk trouser suit and wondering how much had piled up in the account where she kept her parents' gifts. Even as Brendel was feeling Lucia's face with his eyes, letting her excitement speak to his own, Polony was at the bank, having her balance marked into her deposit clip. Even as Farron was smiling and wondering how much the two books would bring, Polony was rapping at the door of the apartment house in Center City and being told that, yes, Mr. Smith still lived there. Presently, Latsker Smith roared around the corner and braked his car. He unfolded from the cockpit. He nodded. Have you got money to go to Boston yet? She held herself very straight. He shook his head. I have money, she said. The pale eyes clung to her. My parents give me an allowance, and I could get jobs wherever we were. I just want to ride with you. I wouldn't even talk unless you wanted me to. She had to be with him. She had to sit and stand beside him. As relaxed and withdrawn as he was, she had to freeze people with her words and with her unrespondingness. She had to make an end a stupidness. He took a deposit clip from a pocket. He pointed to a figure. Match that? She withdrew her own clip and showed him a figure that exceeded his. How much allowance? She told him. He nodded to the car. Wait there. Take me five minutes to pack. Dreadingly, Joyously, she folded into the car. She watched as he liked up the steps. She settled back, holding her shoulders rigid and her head straight. She would sit and stand by him. She would chill people with her reserve. She would be very solid and very adult. But minutes later, she looked at her wrist and saw that he had been more than five minutes. She wished he wouldn't take so long. When he came down the steps, two at a time, she tried not to remember that she hated people who came down steps, two at a time. She didn't like the way his hair flopped against his forehead, either, and she almost got out of the car when she saw his trouser suit was much too short. It made him look off-balance. He got into the car. Don't touch this, he pointed to the starter button. He scowled, or this, or this, or this. He pointed to the pedals, to the gearship lever. He reached out and heaved his suitcase into her lap. He said, brusquely, Don't let it bump the door panel. A corner dug into her stomach. And then he turned his head and ignored her. Completely. And she forgot the steps, the hair, and the trouser suit, and knew she would not get out of the car so long as he was in it. End of Poloni Undiverted by Sidney Ben-Sayap.